Good morning. We're in week two of our sermon series called 365 and 1, Where's the Urgency? Last week, Pastor Zardi introduced us, remember, with a bookmark. If you didn't get one of these, get one on your way out. They look like this. Uh, at the bottom, it has a space for you to put the name of your one, the person you're praying for, the person you're witnessing to, the person you're living your life on purpose for, that they might be influenced uh, for Christ. And on the back are seven specific ways to pray for that person every day, uh, Sunday through Saturday. So pick one up on your way out. Our text for today is a beautiful passage. Many of you will be very familiar with it. It's a portion of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, and he has these profound and in some ways mysterious words, but they're specifically for us, and they'll change our lives, and they'll change the lives of our one as we're praying for them throughout this year. And we start in Matthew 5 in the 13th chapter. Jesus says, you, and he's talking to Christians, he's talking to believers, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a, built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Many sermons have been preached on this text. Many commentators have written on it. There's lots to say about it. For our purposes this morning, we'll talk about and think about three things that salt is and salt does and what it means for us. And then we'll transition and talk about three things that light is and light does and how it can affect us. Let's come together in prayer. Father, thank you for your son Jesus who saved us on the cross and for those of us that are Christians, we are now called to live out this life, to be salt and to be light. What does that mean? Help us understand from, from your word. Or, uh, open our ears to hear and soften our hearts to receive your word. May it be to your glory. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For Christ's sake we pray and together we all say, Amen. Salt is inexpensive. You can buy a little canister of that Morton salt that comes in that cylinder for 89 cents. It's not expensive. In Jesus' day, in those times, it was very expensive because it was so hard to get. If you've ever heard about the city of Salzburg in Austria, that literally means salt city, it's a magnificent city, and it was built on the riches that they um, obtained through the salt mines nearby because it was very expensive. It was worth more than gold. Soldiers would often be paid in salt because it was like currency. We get our word salary from the root word, which also forms the word salt. Very precious. And Jesus is saying, you are this precious to me, and you are this precious to the world. Now go out and be the salt of the earth. So three things that salt is and does and means for us. First of all, we know that salt makes us thirsty. There's no surprise in this. We ought to live our lives in a way that people see our lives and desire it. Just like when you're thirsty, you desire for your thirst to be quenched. How many Seinfeld fans are there here? If you don't raise your hand, we can't be friends anymore. So for those of us that like the show, remember the episode where Kramer is videotaping a commercial and his famous line from that commercial is? A couple. These pretzels are making me thirsty. And it goes on to be a joke throughout the show. As a matter of fact, they made a t-shirt for it. And I don't know where you can get that, but I found it online. These pretzels are making me thirsty. We are to live our lives in such a way 
that people see what we have and they desire it just like when they're thirsty. And once they become thirsty, we can tell them exactly where to get their thirst quenched. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they'll be filled. The apostle John writes about Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. This amazing conversation, right? And about three quarters through the conversation, Jesus says to this woman, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welled up to eternal life. Live a life that makes people thirsty, that they might desire what you have. This cute guy appeared on my Facebook feed this week, and underneath it, his mom wrote, this is my son. He ran the fun run today. He was really struggling when a high school cross-country runner named Miko jumped in and ran almost half the race with him. Miko encouraged him every step of the way, even buying him popcorn and Gatorade when they finished. I didn't have any money on me to repay him. It's kids like that that changed the world. He cha- Listen to this. He changed my son's world today. My son wants to run every day now to show Miko that he's getting better. My son wants to be like Miko, and I would be proud if he was. If anyone knows Miko or his family, I would sincerely appreciate that you pass this on. I don't know, Miko. We did ask his family if we could use a story and get permission. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to change people's life with the grace that Christ has given us. So now they want to be like us, not because we have anything to offer them, but Christ in us will make all the difference in the world. Salt makes people thirsty. Number two, salt acts as a preservative. We'll get to it eventually. There it is. Salt acts as a preservative. Obviously, in Jesus' day, there was no refrigeration, so meat especially would be, we could say, smeared, right, with salt because it draw, drew, would draw, past tense of draw, would draw the moisture out, and so it would slow the rate of decay. That's the point here. Salt helps slow the rate of decay. What does that mean for us practically? That we, as agents of righteousness, are called to slow the rate of moral decay in our society. We have plenty of instructions on how to do that from Scripture. One place is in Galatians 5, where Paul says, Walk by the Spirit. Those of you who are Christians, don't walk by the flesh, by what the world says is a okay. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit's power and help slow the rate of moral decay in our society. Maybe it's because I'm older. Maybe it's because the world really is getting a little more rotten, but I'm frustrated with the morality or the lack thereof in our society. Maybe you are too. We're called to help curb that graciously. When we are the salt of the earth, we act morally. We give generously. We forgive graciously. We vote biblically. When we're the salt of the earth, we lead with integrity. Our businesses, businesses are run legally. Our families are run wisely. It's a challenge for us today. Jesus goes on to say um, this, maybe the most mysterious part of the passage, where he talks about salt losing its saltiness. What are you talking about, Jesus? Sodium chloride is always salty. What he's talking about was in his day, they would get salt by taking water from the Dead Sea, which is very salty, seven times saltier than the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean. And they would let it evaporate, right, in big pools, and what would be left would be salt, big chunks of salt. 
but it wasn't pure salt. There'd be minerals in it from the water and chunks of gravel and stone. It wasn't really good for anything. You couldn't rub it on fish. You couldn't eat it. It was too, uh, too much of the impurities had gotten into it. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. Do not let the impurities of the flesh, of what the world says is good, of what society says is important, infect your lives in so, such a way that you are no longer salt, that you are no longer effective for me. Live and walk by the Spirit, by what God has for us in his holy word. The third thing that salt does or is, is that it enhances flavor. Oh, this is a fun one. Kate and I um, argue a little bit about how much salt to put on stuff. I like just a little bit more. Maybe you do too. When people look at us, they ought to see a life that is lived with God's blessing on us, that we have a flavor for life that they don't have without God, that life is just somehow a little bit fuller, even when the garbage of life happens, maybe even especially when the garbage of life happens. There's something in our lives that just makes our lives a little bit better. I guess we could say a lot better. Let me read to you a passage from the book of Ephesians in the third chapter. This is from the Amplified Bible, and the Amplified Bible is God's true and pure word, but some scholars have added some adjectives, some uh, words in parentheses, to help us better maybe understand what the writer is saying. And Paul says in Ephesians, Jesus, by the power that is in work within us, is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, far over and above all that we ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. What Paul is saying here is for those of us who are in Christ, our lives are so much more enormous than even we could want, greater than our biggest prayers or desires or thoughts or hopes or dreams. Let the world see that. Be the salt of the world. We are not called to be angry or joyless or hypocritical, We are called to live as a loving community, being the salt of the world. One of that ways is to be happy. Are you happy? Did you come to church happy today? What was your attitude? Were you happy to come? Were you grumpy because someone was making you? Were you just kind of tired and thinking about the Browns game or thinking about what tomorrow's going to be? Be happy. Okay, easier said than done, right? I found a blog uh, written by a pastor named David Quad, 10 Ways the Christian Can Be Happy. We'll fly through these. If they're helpful, um, try to take some time maybe to write them down on the back of your outline. I didn't really give you space. Number one, stop living in the past. We know that that can be troublesome. Live today and live for the future. Number two, change your perspective. Go from someone who thinks they're in charge of their life and striving for things that they want to someone who understands that God is in charge, that we submit to him, that he is our God. Number three, change your expectations. Understand that this is a broken world and things are gonna go wrong and you will never find full and complete satisfaction in the things that the world has to offer, but you will only find satisfaction in Christ Jesus. Number four, spend daily time in God's word. We say it around here a lot because it's that important. Read God's word. The beautiful blessing of the Bibles with these kiddos. I remember when my kiddo did it in third grade. I was choking up. It's so beautiful. Getting God's word into people's hands. We have a connection with God in prayer. We have a connection with God in holy communion at the end of the hour. But we have a connection with God in God's word. Number five, take care of your body. Eat well, exercise, rest, sleep. Take time for Sabbath. And number six, grow in gratitude. Look at all your blessings. Be thankful. Verbally express your gratitude to God and others. And number seven, get on a mission. Wake up every day being reminded that today is not about me. Today's about someone else. Live your life to bless someone else. Numbers eight, uh, think of yourself less. 
Christian humility is key to being happy. Number nine, serve your church. Uh, For those of us who've done Servant Saturday, the ride back from the project that we've done, I'm not exaggerating. Those are some of the happiest moments of my year. I'm so full. When you serve others, there's so much happiness in that. And number 10, stop the comparisons. We know that comparing to others can only cause trouble. So why this mini-sermon about happiness in the middle of a sermon about salt and light? Because as salt, we are to live our lives as people with an enhanced flavor, happy people, that the one that we're praying for this year will see and say, I don't know what it is about that one, but they always seem to be pretty happy. All right, so we kind of ran through three things about uh, about salt. Let's transition now to the second thing that Jesus said, that we are the light of the world, and what light is and does, and what that can mean for us. First thing about light is that it illuminates. Duh, no kidding. <laughs> light destroys darkness. Past, uh, Laura did a great job having the kiddos point out light. It destroys darkness. It illuminates. It shines on things. John 3.21, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. Things are illuminated so that, he, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Light illuminates things. I loved my time in Boy Scouts. We used to meet down the hall, what used to be Fellowship Hall, Troop 527, great troop. It was our um, ambition to to camp every month throughout the year, uh, through the winter and everything. And we did almost every month, and I loved camping. I I still do. And I can't remember how old I was. I was trying to remember. I might have been nine. I might have been 14. Who knows? But I was a kid. And we were camping, and it was Friday night, the first night there, and the tents were set up, and dinner had been eaten and cleaned up, and now campfire time, kind of a cool time. And it was time to hit the sack, time to go to bed. Sun was setting, it was beautiful. And they're pretty far away, maybe 150 yards. On the ridge, you know, on the ridge that I could see, I saw something. And I'm staring at it. And I'm thinking, that's probably Bigfoot. (laughs) Pretty sure it was. Now, he wasn't standing like Bigfoot probably was. But the way it looked is he was laying on his side, kind of resting on his elbow, because, you know, Bigfoot does that. I wasn't scared, but I was pretty sure. And he wasn't moving, but of course he wasn't moving because if he was, he was going to attack us that night, he wouldn't be moving, he'd be still. So I went to bed, and I think I slept pretty well. I wasn't really scared, but I was aware that Bigfoot was there. And then the next morning, the sun came out, and there was light, and I saw that it was a tree stump <laughs> with a bush or something next to it that made... That's what light does. It illuminates. It shows us the things that might bring fear and exposes them as something that ought not to bring fear because we have a king, we have a champion, we have an overcomer, that even if that was Bigfoot, I would have been okay because Jesus would have beaten him. That's what light does. Light illuminates. Next, it's our fifth point, but the second thing about light is that light exposes. Light exposes. John 3.20, everyone who, uh, let me put it up there, everyone who does evil hates light. Look at that. Everyone who does evil hates light and will not come into the light. Why? For fear that their deeds will be exposed. I'm a sinner. I don't fear the light because I know light is God and he's forgiveness. But for those who aren't in Christ, they fear it because they don't want to be exposed. So I want to be careful here. We're biblicists. We believe in the Bible. It's inspired. It's perfect. It's without error. So the areas that talk about sin, we of of course boldly proclaim, but we're not the world's police. We're not the angry, fist-pounding Christians that are saying, you're doing it wrong. We're the kind of people that graciously say, hey, have you met Jesus? 
Have you met his way? Have you met his forgiveness? There's a subtle difference in that. Uh, Portals of prayer, I picked it up this morning and God does cool things. I literally opened up to the page that's on being salty. I said, hey, I'm preaching on that today. I wonder what it says. Here's what it says. Do not be belligerent or contentious. Christians seek in every way to be at peace with one another, to go the extra mile. We seek to be patient, kind, and gentle, knowing that the, the Lord has dealt with us tenderly. Having been forgiven, we are quick to forgive and slow to anger. So yes, light exposes, and we are the people who have the truth of God's word, and we ought to share where there's error, but we do it gently. We do it graciously. We do it understanding that we have been forgiven. As I counsel couples that are about to be married, I have to tell you I deal with a fair amount of frustration. Pastor Tim and I talk about it all the time. Because almost without exception, young couples, even those in the church come in and we find out they're living together already. That's a sin. That is displeasing to God. So now what am I supposed to do? It's the first five minutes of the first session before um, they're all excited and the pastor's gonna talk to them and I, I find out that they're living in a way that displeases God. What am I gonna do? Am I gonna pound the table and insist they move apart until, until we marry them? Here's what I say. I say it's displeasing to God that you're living together. I have to tell you from God's word. Here's what Jesus says. If you live with him and in his way, he promises to take a heavy burden off of you and carry it himself and give you his light burden. And what you're doing by deciding to live outside of his will is taking his offer and saying, no thanks, Jesus. I know you offered to take my heavy burden, but we'll carry it. We'll deal with the rough consequences that will come from this decision. So, so do you see what happens there? I was able to point out that you're living in error and sin without pounding, without pointing, without saying, get it right, by showing them that there's a better way, a life in Christ. Finally, number six, and the third thing about light is that it draws people to a destination. Light draws people to a destination. From our original text in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. And then look, and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the destination that they might know God and glorify him. The reason we want people to be salt and light, the reason we are salt and light is to draw people to God. It's not to reform behavior. Christianity is not about living your life right. We can't. That's why we need Jesus. We're a mess. This isn't a lesson on three things to be about salt and three things about light and then God will like us. It's because he already loves us and died for us and now that we are Christians, we live this way. That is our destination. Paul knew exactly where he was heading. He writes this beautiful passage in Philippians 3. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. That's his destination, in Christ Jesus. He says our citizenship is in heaven. Light lights the destination. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where are you headed? What's your destination? What's your end goal? What's your destiny? The Apostle John writes in the last book, the unveiling, the revelation, he says, the angel showed me what it'll be like. There'll be a river of water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and at the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, 
On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Light draws people to a destination. Little boy was taken by his mom to a cathedral he'd never been before, never seen stained glass windows. And he said, Mom, what are those? And she said, stained glass windows. He said, who are those people? She said, those are saints. And he said, well, now I know what saints are. They're people who let the light through. The Bible says that we who are Christians are saints, and we are people who are called to let the light through. Let people see Jesus in us that they may want him. Close with a brief story here. A Christian came to the missionary who was responsible for bringing the gospel to his part of the world. And that Christian said, I've memorized the entire Sermon on the Mount. And the missionary knew that was a lot. And he said, did you really? He said, yeah. He said, let me hear it. And the, and the Christian recited it perfectly. And the missionary was quite impressed and said, how'd you do that? And he said, I spent the last year trying to live it. Be salt, be light, so that others might see and glorify your Father in heaven. Some next steps for you to think about as we walk through the week. Live a life for Christ that people will see and want I mean, do you, if you honestly looked at your life, would you say, man, people want my life? <laughs> add Christ, add his word, enjoy the encouragement and the blessing you'll receive from Holy Communion. Number two, have so much light from God in your life that people will see the truth. Part of our job is to slow moral decay, let them understand God's good word. And number three, know your eternal destination and invite people to join you on that journey. Let's pray. Uh, good word from God, Lord. Um, all your word is so good for us. Thank you. Let us understand salt and light. Holy Spirit, overtake my life. Dominate me. Overwhelm me with goodness and truth and divinity so that when this person or that person or the one that I've written down on my bookmark sees me, they will sit Jesus and not want to be more like, more like Mark, that they want to be more like Jesus who is in me and thirst for that and we can then show them who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Your love for us is unmistakable and overwhelming, and for that we're grateful. We ask for you to bless us this day and all the days of this week, indeed all the days of our life. In Jesus' name together we all say, amen.